For nearly two decades, Emmanuel Anyamosigwe's obsession with diversity has won the hearts and minds of filmmakers and audiences alike. His blueprint for how minorities should be represented has stood the test of time, long before the penny dropped for other institutions far and wide that diversity truly matters. This year, as Buff marks its 15th anniversary, the more things change, the more things stay the same. Never has diversity been more relevant than in 2020. And as long as the issue remains in the public eye, Emmanuel has ensured that for creatives everywhere, the British Urban Film Festival is a broad church that welcomes all creeds and all colors, comfortable in its own skin and bold in its approach to storytelling and showcasing film as seen through the social and cultural lens. From BFM to Buckingham Palace, it's been quite a journey for the man who literally bet the house on making Buff the success that it is today. Good afternoon and welcome to the British Urban Film Festival. My name is Claire Anyamo Sigwe. I'm the Managing Director at Buff. We are celebrating our 15th anniversary and this time it's the first time we've ever done a festival digitally. Obviously we're all living through the strangest year, uh, 2020 with regards to COVID and the pandemic. And so that has changed and challenged us as creatives to bring to you the best festival that we could possibly deliver in a digital world. So today's program is the life and death program. So I've got some fantastic filmmakers, writers, directors, producers on the line, and I look forward to introducing them all individually. So I'm just gonna start with the person that's closest to me, which is Kevin. Kevin, if you could just, uh, tell us your full name, the name of your project, and your role in the project. Okay, uh, my name's Kevin Eno. I'm the writer-director of a short film called Smiley Face. Um, with the project, it's a personal project of mine. Um, it's a short film, a drama, and um, it was something close to my heart, and that's why I wanted to do it. Awesome. Thank you so much for joining us, Kevin. So you wrote and directed? Yes, yes, I wrote and directed it. Did you have this <clears throat> as well? Pardon? You happen to produce, because I know sometimes with these- Yeah, I produce, I do everything. I'm, That's what I'm, I'm saying. Band. I'm a one man band. Band. It's probably likely you've got like four, four parts, <laughs> eight arms. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah, numerous things on the go. I'm spinning a lot of plates. I'm sorry, just the name of the film again? Smiley Face. Smiley Face, beautiful, well done. And Damien, welcome you and Noella to the uh, Q&A. Can you just tell us about your project and your roles in the project? My name is Noella Mingo and I'm the writer and co-producer of a short film called Elephants. And I'm Damien Paul Daniel and I'm the uh, cinematographer and co-producer of our short film Elephant. Um, we made Elephant because although we both work in the film business, I'm a stylist, Damien's a cinematographer, we really wanted to make a film that reflected the lives of the people around us. We felt the need, probably like everybody here, to make the film that we wanted to see on screen. Uh, and that's why we made our film Elephant. Uh, thank you. And then we've got Connor. Welcome to the Q&A. How are you doing? Can you tell Thanks. us a bit about your, the name of the, your project and um, how you got involved? Uh, yeah, sure. My film's called Mahunas. Uh, I was the writer, director and producer 
Arnis, along with another producer who's called Will Preisner, Richard Willing Preisner. Uh, yeah. Yeah, and what, 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 in the sense of the drama, can you just give us a little bit about how you came to tell the story? Sure, I mean, um, it, it started when I was at uni, the idea for it. Uh, it actually originally started because I was thinking I want to make a film about, uh, it, it, some of it comes from uh, my heritage, so I'm uh, Irish, English, I have Irish and English descent, and my confusion about that with kind of things in relation to the IRA. Uh, and I want to basically flex that out in a kind of in one space, as it were. So that's how the kind of the drama started with that and how I went to kind of explore that. Fantastic. Superb. Abigail, welcome to the Q&A. Tell us a bit about your, your title and your, your role in the production. Yes. Uh, good afternoon, everybody. Nice to meet you all. Um, the name of my film is Stilled and I am the writer, director and producer of it. The story came about, I was inspired um, from my family and friends who had all had a similar experience on a certain subject matter that's often experienced by lots of people but not talked about in the public. Um, and so I decided to embark on that journey and uh, make a film about it. Okay, superb. Thank you very much. Aisha, welcome. Hi everyone, I'm Aisha Scott and I'm the writer, producer and director of Dismissed. Um, I came about um, making Dismissed as it was a social impact film and that's the type of films that I like to make. Also, I'd watched a lot, it's an anti-bullying short film. So I'd watched a load of short films and I realised that there was sort of uh, the perspective of the teacher's perspective wasn't being told. So it was something that I wanted to touch upon because it's usually told from the bully's perspective or the victim's perspective. So I wanted to change that perspective and how does the teacher, and um, what do they dismiss and what things do they see and kind of like just pass by on in the classroom. So that's how that film came about. Okay, brilliant, sounds really interesting. And last but not least, we've got Alifa here. Um, my name is Aletha Shepherd, and I have, um, I'm a director and producer and I have uh, two shorts in this festival. One's called What You Will and the other one's called Transparence. Perfect, that's probably why you got the invitation twice. Lovely. <laughs> talented, talented people. Wonderful. So coming to you, Connor, just talk to me about some of the challenges making this short film. Um, yeah, I mean, the, one of the main ones was, I mean, we did this on uh, as a story that's very kind of a similar is, you know, a zero budget, we had no money and all that. Uh, the big thing for us was we were looking for places in London, and I'm, I can imagine anyone can attest to in London, finding locations, because I mean, my film sets mainly around one kind of scene. Um, so to try and find those location, that location for near to nothing is near impossible. And then suddenly we looked in my hometown in Stoke and we found basically this abandoned swimming pool and they were like, yeah, you can have it for free if you want. And so the big thing was is that everyone was in London, everything, the gear, the actors, all of that was in London. We were like, we had to kind of sit down and make this call to go, are we going to move everything all the way to Stoke? which we did and it was great. And then actually that was it. So now in terms of actually making, that was probably one of the biggest challenges, but was also kind of one of the things that made us most free in the end, because once we got to Stoke, we could get away with so much more and do so much more. It was kind of freedom when we came. Okay, fantastic. So you kind of changed it into an adversity into something that was quite positive actually. Yeah. It's yeah, nice because Stoke is one of those quaint places in England that I guess not much is really happening. So I guess they were quite happy to have you. But that's it. They have they actually have a really good art council. But like you said, there's not much going on there. And I guess the thing is in London, someone will always pay. Do you know what I mean? If you're like, I can't afford to do this, they'll be like, well, someone will at some point. So that's fine. We can wait. Whereas, I mean, for example, the Arts Council there and there's um, Appetite Stoke as well, um, which is a great organisation. And they are constantly a looking to put things on because, you know, they want to build up the art in Stoke. But they're also with that, they're willing to give people chances, you know, and that's that's what was really great about it, actually. So, yeah. Okay, well, every, uh, everyone on the call, take notes, because... Uh, <laughs> yeah, 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 you want to wear it, it's a great place. <laughs> in fact. <laughs> and Damien, obviously, with your producing hat, what, sort, what were some of the sort of challenges that you experienced in your production? 
Um, well, one of, um, we've got a couple which Noella will uh, go on about, but one of, um, one of the challenges was um, we decided to shoot on film, <laughs> which was my idea. When and it says we, go along with this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and um, I mean, we funded the film as well, so oh. we were having that argument with ourselves. Um, <laughs> when, you shoot, when you shoot on film, I mean, I come from, um, I started, when I first started in cameras, I started off in film, but with, and of course I know digital very well, but I do, I love film for the aesthetic and it, it, see, it felt like the right, uh, the right choice for for, our, for Elephant. Um, but of course, one of the challenges uh, with film, apart from the cost, is that per role, um, you, you've probably got about 10 minutes um, per role and you don't want to be shooting loads and loads. You know, nowadays, times on set when you're shooting digital, it's quite common to say, oh yeah, just keep the camera running, just keep it going, just keep it going. So the battery on, locks off or yeah, memory. Exactly, on, on film, if you were to do that, it'd be like, ah! <laughs> you know, so it meant actually, um, it, what, what it meant though was that it was a very disciplined set mm -hmm. and we did no more than two takes. So yes, you could say there was a bit of a pressure on the actors to get that, um, mm -hmm. but it kind of honed, you know, it honed them up. And after, you know, um, you, you basically you don't waste frames. You don't waste frames when you're shooting on film. Mm -hmm. So that was one of the challenges. The other, because we produced it, we both work in film. I'm a stylist, he's a cinematographer. We don't produce things. So producing it and funding it ourselves was in itself a challenge, although we really enjoyed it. But it was these little things that happened towards the end of the shoot. So one example I'll give you is we were actually on a paid job together, which is really rare. And we were on a ship in the middle of the ocean when some of our child, one of our child licenses fell through. So we were trying to sort out a child license on a ship with no Wi-Fi, with a with a council in Greenwich. Yes. It was Greenwich. Where was the really... ship? Sorry, what what destination? Ship, was we, we were in. Where were uh, we? We were in we were, the Mediterranean. We were in the Mediterranean. I mean, okay, we were. It was very nice, <laughs> but we were trying to produce our short at the same time. So in the end, we thought we'd lost this one of our two children that we wanted to have. So I then, on the ship, rewrote the script without that child, sent it to everybody. We all agreed it, it was all great. And then the parents of the child who wasn't given the license went, visited the, their local council and created such a fuss that suddenly they were given the license. So we had to change everything back again. So it was wow. those kind of things that we had no experience of that we were just juggling and trying to make work. While but we were still shooting. While we were, a, yeah, yeah, while we were on a, another shoot, but, but it was worth it. It was absolutely worth it. And Noella, just quickly, is this your first script then? Is this your debut? Yeah, yeah, it was. You know, Damien gave me the challenge of write, write something that we want to see that we can make. And I was like, okay. <laughs> but it certainly spurred me on. And, you know, seeing the wonderful thing about being in these festivals is seeing other short films and being so inspired by the incredible work that everybody's producing. So it's really inspired me to keep writing and for us to keep producing and making the, telling the stories that we want to tell. Wonderful. Wonderful, superb. Abigail, yes. what were some of the challenges that you experienced in <laughs> um, Number one was shooting outside and then there was the heavens opened and it <laughs> rained. <laughs> so we obviously had to now, you know, rejig the schedule and decide what we had to do instead to go indoors and do a couple of more things and extra footage until it stopped, hopefully, until it stopped raining, which it did in the end. And then we, we had to quickly run outside and get all our shots in as quickly as possible before, if anything, it would, if it started raining again. Um, also, my second challenge was the editing. I had to, most of it was remote control editing <laughs> uh, with the sound design, um, that what happened is our designer, sound designer, had to fly to Germany. So we had to organize that and see, if, you know, and, and do that across in, on the continent. So that was a bit of a challenge, those two things. Sure. Yes. Yeah. Great, great, fantastic experiences. And so for you, um, Aisha, what did you experience when you was making Dismissed? 
Um, well, one of the biggest hurdles was um, getting the school children because we was working on a shoestring budget. So to hire out that many children of paid actors, like um, experienced actors would have been obviously a dent in the budget. So the casting director, she worked at a school and we worked with non-actors. So only Cindy, the main actress, she was an experienced actress but everybody else was all non-actors. So they studied drama at school, but they'd never been on set. So yeah. they didn't understand the, the dynamics of how a set was run. So it got to six o'clock and they'd be like, you said we'll be wrapping now. And it's like, but we haven't got the shots. Like we need you here. And they was like, yeah, but we got to go out with our friends. So they didn't understand the <laughs> complexities of how a set was run. And then like the other lady, we also experienced problems with the editing. So we had three editors on it and it took a year to get edited. Wow. And I ended up editing it myself with the cinematographer in the end. Just to get it finished. Just to get it finished because it was so stressful. Because it's quite an arty film, every editor that we gave it to, they didn't kind of understand that the way we wanted to portray because we wanted it to be a lot of silent moments and stuff like that. And I'm very sort of a perfectionist, so <laughs> that didn't help. And yeah, but we got it done a year later and now it's doing big things. So yeah, that was the sort of things that we had to face. Super, thanks for sharing. And Alifa, what kind of little challenges did you come across on your production? Um, probably on What You Will, we had like uh, a party scene um, and there was like 30 extras wow. and we were shooting in my, my house. <laughs> As you do, uh, <laughs> I was in my house as well. <laughs> yeah, so my partner at the time wasn't too happy to come home. <laughs> uh, so I would say, yeah, dealing with a large amount of extras. So even if people are lending their time, you still got to feed them and everything else. So, and you know, managing people so they don't get bored. What was uh, it that of interest? Because we were giving our people patties and uh, pizza. <laughs> <laughs> My aunt actually had cooked like fried chicken and some chow mein and like they were just enjoying it. So <laughs> that kept them happy. Oh, that's cool. So you turned it around. <laughs> yeah, I turned it around with the food. <laughs> And lastly, Kevin, what, what kind of little um, snags did you have on your production? Yeah, I, I always say it's a miracle to make a film because like most of the time when you try to make a film, like life is trying to stop you at it. <laughs> so, um, so I think for me, um, the first challenge I had is we actually shot the film first time around really well, actually. It was really good. Cast and crew were excellent, all fed. I made a nice sandwiches and everything. And then um, the files on the hard drive got corrupted. And, oh, yeah, it was devastating. Like, um, so I was in a conundrum where, do I shoot this film again or do I just shoot something else? And I, I just felt the first shoot went so well and the actors' performances were great and the cast and crew were just amazing that I just said, you know what? The subject matter that, um, that, that the film's about is about mental health. I felt that it's a, it's a prominent issue, especially with, with the younger generation. And I just felt that there wasn't a film out there touching on these issues. So I just thought, you know what? I'm going to shoot it again. So um, a couple of months down the line, as you know, pre-production, getting cast and crew to be available on the same day, it, you know, it's tough. And mm. we finally got a day and we shot, and guess what? The film gods made it rain. So at that point, I was thinking, <laughs> I just don't feel my film's going to happen. But me and, me and my DOP at the time were like, do you know what? Let's just see how it goes. And it started to clear up and it became drizzle. And we just thought, you know what? Um, instead of abandoning this, let's try and shoot it. So we just shot it and it even added more of a cinematic feel to it. So we did the film, um, but I, I would definitely say it was very difficult, especially losing the footage the first time around, getting it corrupted. It was um, heartbreaking. Wow, wow. That's called true perseverance. I mean, it, I'm a filmmaker myself and my debut was No Shade. And um, the first five hours into filming, the, our location was buggered. You know, we had hired a house in Halsden, an eight bedroom mansion so that we could have three different flats in one location and have, to, you know, shorter time to move around. And uh, put the key in the door and the key wouldn't work. 
then we went and we phoned her. She's like, I'm in Venezuela. I was like, oh, brilliant. Uh, <laughs> yeah, another key around. Like, what the and um, her estate agent came. His key wouldn't work. So we were like, this is an absolute joke. So we just moved on to another scene, put the like 30 people into a restaurant. And we just like, just let them order whatever, all the cast, the crew, just let them keep eating, stay warm until we find another um, flat to shoot in. And then a succession of things just went wrong during the, 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 the filming. But I was like, we, we, gave, we gave this negative energy, this dark force, we gave it a name and its name was Satan Murphy Trump. <laughs> wow. Anytime something would go wrong, like the lights would just randomly blow out or like, Someone would be like turning up like three or four hours late. We're like Satan, Trump, Murphy. There he goes. <laughs> I always say like films, like it's like going to war, isn't it? Where you've got to be ready, be prepared, and make sure everyone knows their roles. And, but you never know what's going to happen. So it's, it's just in the luck of the gods, really. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely true. And so the flip side of that is, with regards to each of your films, have you got a particular scene in the movie where you're like, do you know what? this is why I'm, I want to make film. This is why I had to tell this story. What's your most proudest scene in the film, Aisha? My most proudest scene in the film is the train station scene where we had to um, portray a film. Don't give away spoilers because oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it wasn't to be on Apple and everyone will be able to see it, so go oh. away. Yeah, no, I said it was the train station scene because it's such a sensitive subject matter. Um, we had to really like think about the way we was going to do it because it insinuates suicide and we didn't want to do it in the typical way. So we looked, did a lot of research on the Samaritans website on ways that they suggested to um, play those sort of scenes. And I just think it came out really beautifully the way we done it because it's not the, it's not like on your nose, but it's just, it's still beautiful and it's really touching. So that's one of the proudest moments of the film for me. Brilliant. Connor, for you. Um, I'd have to say, I mean, it, it's, I feel like it's cheating because the scene technically goes all the way through it, uh, kind of runs along, but basically miles. in the swimming pool was probably my favorite and what I'm most proud of. Because uh, also it was a culmination of everything. It was such a great location that we'd managed to get. And it was with these two great actors, Sean and Neil McWilliams, who were fantastic. And it was, you know, what was really nice about it was is that because it's quite a big location, but the focus is quite small in with little things going on on that side. Um, it, you know, we really get to let them play it out. And it was also on a personal side, working with them in that situation where we're letting something kind of happen. We didn't do it too linear to the script. We kind of, we did a bit, but we also let them play around with it a bit. Uh, and it was just such great fun to, to do, one, to do that and then see it come out onto the screen as it were. Nice. And I mean, without obviously giving the whole film away, because obviously all of your films are short, but what's the synopsis of this? Because you've mentioned the swimming pool twice now. So for people, right? Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's it's basically it's a um, it's a father of um, a soldier who was killed in the troubles in Ireland, and basically he kidnaps his son. Well, he gets two people to kidnap his son's killer to kind of get retribution on him, and yeah, and then when basically we start in the swimming pool with him, and it's about him going through the motion of trying to do that because he's not someone who would normally do this. And then that's how it plays out. Okay, thank you so much. That's wonderful. And Alifa, for you, proudest moment or a scene in the film that just makes it all come together? Um, oh, it, it would probably have to be the last scene because it's just like an emotional scene. And uh, because I act in it as well, it was so hard to, um, because you're acting with an innate object, it was a lot hard, it was very hard to like um, evoke emotion, I would say, and also make sure the shot was cinematic enough as well. And dire directing myself, I found quite a huge challenge, especially in emotional scenes, so. Is this the first time you've uh, acted and directed? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure, because you've got two films, obviously. Yeah. Is this your first yeah. film or second, or? Um, so, I, that, Transference was my second, and then What You Will was my first, but I acted and directed in both of those, yeah. Perfect. And so, wow, man, kudos to you. It's not easy. <laughs> no. Yeah, no, it's not easy to do.
playback is my best friend <laughs> yeah absolutely and having a monitor is like, yeah up so you can kind of sort of see yourself and go all right I'm yeah but it's weird we did. for everybody else on set because you're going action and you're in this in, yeah in the set. <laughs> so it's like what's going on <laughs> like a really kind of I think um organized mind I think to be able to yeah into the two to be kind of authorizing this whole situation and have your eyes on everybody as a director as well as yourself yeah so yeah know, it was really well done. <laughs> challenging well done. Abigail celebration time what sort of thing <laughs> you, you know what what scene in the movie makes it all come together for you um a couple of scenes but this one stands out it is about uh, my main character's in the bathtub and uh, she's considering, she's in a dark place, maybe perhaps suicidal, not giving, the, giving away. Mm -hmm. And her partner comes into the bathroom and just very subtly uh, shows support for whatever she's going through um, and kisses her on the forehead. I thought that that was just, to me, was so warming when when a woman goes through a lot of pain and you have a partner who is there for you, I thought that, I, I just think there's nothing more to it than that when you actually have the, you don't have to say anything, they just know what to do. I think that just speaks volumes. So I hope I have, I believe I've portrayed it that way. So. Yeah, no, I'm sure you have. I'm sure everyone's gonna love it when they see it. Yeah, perfect. Sarah, welcome to the conversation. Hi, sorry I'm a bit late. That's okay, you let Emmanuel know, which is wonderful. And you are the director of Where Is God Now? I am, yeah, yeah. Wonderful. So just in a few uh, words, can you tell us a bit about how you came to tell this story? Uh, yeah, I wanted to uh, look at uh, a film that address like relationships and the challenges and the difficulties that happen in relationships and how even though you can like love someone, something can happen that can really start to question that love. And um, I, 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 I don't know, I just, I just came up with this idea and um, decided, yeah, let's write it. So I wrote it and then I was like, yay, let's make a film. So it kind of, it was, it, it was just, and there was a case actually, there was a case, what, what made it particularly that story was there was a case in the paper about a woman who had taken the NHS to court because she had given birth to a child that had Down syndrome. And what she was saying is had she had known that the child had Down syndrome at, during her pregnancy, she would have more than likely had um, a termination. Wow. Yeah. So does that storyline weave into... So yeah, it's, it's, it's more about a couple and the fact that they have been trying for a baby for a long time and something happens and they have to make this really difficult decision. What's really sad about this particular film though, is not only the subject matter, but our lead actress, Tilly Coleman, she, she, she you know, she passed away um, in, in May of this year. Um, it's quite sad as well. Obviously lockdown affected people very differently. So she's not here to celebrate with us. So it makes it even more sad um this this it's nice to hear that and i'm obviously condolences to tilly's family if you are watching this q a and obviously thank you so much for having made the film and hopefully this can be something that her and her family can celebrate because you're right i mean for all of us it's been a really strange tough challenging kind of monumental year in terms of the the way it's played on all of our emotions and even the fact that we've put this strand together now that all of you guys are listening to each other's stories you can kind of get a sense as to why you're all on this strand and we've called it life and death because that's what life's about you know there's so many internal challenges emotionally mentally psychologically obviously physically and then we open our front door turn on our devices and then we've got political social racial a whole host of you know challenges and things that are kind of obstacles for us to navigate this you know weird and wonderful thing called life so you know your films are really a testament to that and i just want to thank you congratulate you for your, um, you know, submitting it to Bath for, for us and the team watching the films and officially selecting you guys and obviously just championing you on this journey as it goes out to Apple, which means it's going to be watched by a global audience, which is incredible. 
again, if we had had the traditional setting of a cinema, it would have been just seen locally in London, um, if any of you guys could have even got there or not, you know, so the fact that people can, you know, take their time and watch it today and um, for the rest of, you know, the year is brilliant. So we, we're really, really pleased about that. And so coming to Damien and um, Noella with regards to Elephant, what are some of your proudest moments about the film? I mean, the background of how you even came to tell it was really quite interesting. So I just want to know, are there particular scenes in the film that we should look out for as we're watching it? Uh, yeah, I mean, there's, um, uh, I guess I'll talk from um, uh, a visual um, point of view. Uh, one of my, uh, one scene that stand, there's a, there's a, there's a dream sequence in our, in our film. Um, and to film that um, was, um, was quite technical. So um, our, our lead actress, um, it starts off, you know, there's, there's a very, very precise, very slow tracking shot, which then kind of morphs into, um, um, morphs into a shot of our lead actress kind of spinning around the room to achieve that. Um, meant that she had to um, wear this body rig harness with the camera attached to her, which was quite heavy, which she, you know, did with great enthusiasm. Um, I practiced it on Noella before we started shooting. Um, and then it involves um, going into a vivid colour sequence. Um, and just to see, and, and it, it kind of um, resonates and it, 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 it's just a visual um, way of showing her state of mind at the time. Um, and when we managed to pull it off um, and seeing it back in the edit, was, you know, was, yeah, it was, uh, it was like, yeah, okay, we like that. That's awesome, man. That's really creative. Especially yeah. as uh, everything else in the film is in black and white. So we shot yeah. in the film in black and white. And then this just bit that could be a dream, could be a nightmare is in colour. And we, we thought about that because it's almost like her life is very black and white. She also has, it, it's a film about mental um, illness. And so she sees everything very, very black and white. But when this, when she's asleep, this vivid world comes alive. Hence the colour bit. But it looks, it looks amazing. Yeah. And the way the 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 soundtrack changes at that point, the musical score changes, is is yeah. really interesting as well. So we love that. Thank you. Thanks so much for sharing, Kevin. Proudest moment or a scene in the film that gives you a lot of joy when you watch it back? I guess for me, um, what was interesting, one of the reasons why I did the short was because. Um, going to work on a Monday morning, um, I was reading the newspaper and there was like a sudden whole screech of the train. It was just people crying, screaming. And at that point, I realised there was um, a young girl underneath the train. So for me, that was like really shocking to see. But the other side of me was like, I've got to get to work. So um, once I got to work, I had to like really process what really happened and try and pretend everything was normal and go about my day. Um, so for the shoot, we actually went back to the same train station where it happened. And for me, it was very cathartic in the sense of, um, it was kind of closure in the sense of me dealing with that issue. And I never told the crew or the actors what the location was, but it was important for them to have their own performances while they were there. And then afterwards I, I told them and for them, it felt like a full circle and watching the film and the scene play out for me in real life is kind of like, I remember that experience, but then at the same time too, for the film from an aesthetic level, there's just a nice connection there. So um, it's very ther therapeutic actually me making this film. Brilliant, well done. And obviously for you, Aisha, it took a year to come to screen. So yeah. <laughs> now when you look back on that finished project. What did you say, sorry, Dalem? Well, what's one of your proudest moments in your movie now that you've got it all finished and it's ready for play out? Um, remember I was saying it was the train station scene because um, it was just so beautiful the way it all came together. We worked with a first time actress and she had us in tears on the day. So. She was so connected to the piece and she was like crying and just the way the music fitted in with it, I, it's just really just makes, makes it all worth it. Cause I almost left it on the edit floor. Like I was, I was so fed up with it, with bringing it to different editors. I was at the point when I was like, all right, I'm not putting this film out. I'm just gonna move on with another project. And yeah, it just, it really brings me joy just the way it's been received as well since it's been, 
um, screened at festivals and things like that, it makes me really happy that I kept going <laughs> with um, the production, yeah, because it's so difficult, you know, to get it completed, and especially when you're doing it by yourself, indie, it's just a lot of work, so, yeah. I'm just happy that it's out now and it's doing amazing things and the message is getting across. Good stuff. And for you, Alifa, what was one of your triumphant moments um, for this film? Um, well, when the script first came to me, um, my cousin, who's the same age as me, had just passed away accidentally. And I think that's why I connected emotionally to the script um, and actually filming it and giving myself the challenge of producing, directing and acting in it um I think was very cathartic for me like I making the film was helping me deal with my own grief of what I had just gone through uh so I guess a proud moment for me was um I guess seeing an audience's reaction and how other people connected to the same sort of understanding of life and how we deal with grief and how it's actually an important part of life of how we get over things so that message um really kind of uh watching it in its fullness really was my proudest moment thank you thank you for sharing and sarah proudest moment when you look back on the movie sorry sarah you're on mute i believe i am so sorry yeah. um i think my proudest moment was actually um casting tilly as our lead um there was something about her that I really felt that she'd be able to bring the story to life and she really did and she made it very real. So looking back and watching it, I'm, I'm really proud of myself as this being the first film I've directed that I stuck to my guns and I stuck to my guns and I chose her as the lead because she really brought that element and that realness to, to, to the film itself, not just to the script, but to the film itself. And so watching it back, yeah, there's always bits and pieces that you don't particularly like, but in terms of the performance mm. and the delivery of both actors, I was, I'm, I'm really, really proud of, I'm really proud of what we achieved as a team on a very shoestring budget. So yeah, superb. Thank you. And this is a general question to all of you, so please feel free to chime in. So, so as I said, some of the themes in your films are quite, um, you know, deep, and obviously are reflections of real life. Do you think that's, you know, film is the vehicle for that, or a great medium for that, or do you feel that film should be a kind of ring-fenced environment for fantasy and escapism, um, especially when we're thinking about. Um, the year that we've all had so far may almost be looking like we may see some repeats or reruns of 2020 and 2021 with regards to lockdowns and different tiers and still, you know, having to socially distance until such a time. So who wants to answer that question first? Um, I, I think that it's really important that we all tell the stories that are important to us. And, and the great thing about film is a story, it can be about anything and hopefully it will find its audience. And and it's interesting because there are a lot of dark themes in films this year, but we made our film in 2019 and we had no idea what was coming at all, but it's still an important story to tell. And it's still something we need to see on the screen. And the beauty about film is stories can be about anything. So for, for us, this was a very important film, but our next film might be a comedy. You know, it, 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 that's the beauty of filmmaking. Also, I was just going to say, you know, um, so you know, like everyone here, you, you make you make a film, you pour, you know, your heart, soul, uh, money into it, um, and with the theme that it explores, which our film is, you know, um, um, about a woman going through a mental health um, issue over twenty four hours. When we started submitting it to festivals, there's always it's like, oh my god, who's going to who's going to choose yeah. your film? And there's, you know, we all hate that rejection letter <laughs> you know <laughs> and, you know and you think well with the year that we're having does anyone see it does anyone want to see a film um, about what we're going through depression but it does resonate and the stories are out there and also the other reason for our film was our lead actress being a black woman it's not a role that you see on screens in the UK um, hardly ever um, and you know she poured everything into that role it was with a rawness and an intensity so yeah as Noella says you know that's that is the it's the film is the weapon the power of cinema do you know what I mean just like a pen can be when you write uh film is a is a weapon 
um, you know, to combat to combat certain issues. I love that as a saying. That's fantastic. Yeah. So, so go on, Sarah. Yeah, I was just going to say that I think I agree. You know, film is it. It can be whatever, can't it? It can be a tool that we can we can have this visceral reaction to it, or we can have this vicarious uh, reaction to it. Film allows us to explore probably some of the most challenging stories that we want to tell that perhaps we can't tell in a natural setting. Do you know what I mean? So we can create this vehicle where you can safely explore some of the darker sides of the human nature and what it means to be human, but in a really self way, in, in a safe way where it's very distant to you, but you can still relate to it. You can still understand it. And I think every genre of film has its place. Comedy is brilliant, especially at a time like this to lift your spirit up. But sometimes we want something a little bit more different. We want something that we can relate to. We want to see characters develop. We want to see real people have mental health breakdowns. We want to see couples struggling. Um, and we have that reaction when we say, actually, I've experienced that. I've been through that. So it can sometimes be a great tool for healing. Some of the am amazing films um, have created healing in people or really stuck in our minds. So yeah, I'm, I'm here for it. Thank I you. I just want, oh. No, go for it. Go up, uh, just to jump in to what Sarah was saying is most importantly, you know, with, with films can also, you can identify with it because if you are going through something, it tells you, it's comforting to know that you are not alone. You could be isolated, be anywhere, but the important thing is if you are going through something yourself and you see, you know, something similar on the TV film, you're not alone. And there's plenty of people going through the same thing. You just haven't met them. And, you know, it gives, it just warms your soul just to know that. And, you know, like what Sarah is saying, there's a healing that takes place just by knowing that. Superb. I agree. Super. All right. So just to wrap us up on a lighter note, thinking about you guys' next projects, if you had unlimited funds, Kevin, and uh, Satan Trump Murphy or Satan Murphy Trump <laughs> forever. Because <laughs> you could just wave, a, wave the cash and make him disappear. Um, what story would you like to tell next? It's a question that all filmmakers love, right? Um, I think <laughs> if I had buckets of cash to spend money, um, I, I do like a Western, I do like a space film, but I would definitely love to make an epic um, in a sense of pre-colonial times with tribes um, on the Western regions of Africa. And what I would love is just to have an experience of the day-to-day -day where it's heart and there's family and there's soul. And you see us as an organization just living. And then also too, as well, just a fraction and the politics, because I think as human beings, we all connect through different times. So I would love to have like a big epic. I'm, I'm really into like David Lean. So the Dr. Javagos and films such as Zulu, we don't really get to see those films in cinema today. So if I had wads of cash, I would make a big epic um, about pre-colonization Africa. Damien and Noella. Well, if we had wadges of cash, we're working on we're working on an idea for a feature film at the moment that is a kind of quirky British comedy crime caper set in. We kind of want to be like the the Spike Lees of South London, so we try and shoot, we want to try and shoot all of our stuff. Like I love the idea of this epic set in Africa. It's like we should be doing yeah. that, but we we want to we live in Penge in southeast London, and so our <laughs> thing is like. Penge man, we're going to put Penge on the map. So we want to shoot a really quirky feature film set in and around Penge. Which that's is what, what we're we, planning at Which is what we're hoping to do, but we haven't got any money yet. So when we get the money, that's what we're going yeah. to do. Amazing. You heard it first here, Penge people. Aisha, Unlimited Funds, what's your next movie about? My next movie is Absent. I've actually had it in development now for about five years. So I've got close to getting funding for it, but there were implications where they wanted somebody else to direct it. But it's, it's a personal story. So it's based on absent parenting and the effects that it has on just everybody really, the, the mother, the, the child, the father themselves, and just the generational cycle 
of absent parenting because all my stuff is message based so following on from the question before like I think it's really important to have messages in your films like I like to watch films that resonate with me that can teach me something about life and that I can get some sort of move it moves me in a way and that's the type of films that I like to make so that is definitely going to be my next film if I don't get the big budget I'm going to be doing it on an indie regardless because it's time to get it made now mm. so absent that would be my next yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Abigail, <laughs> next film. If you had a yes. what would it look like? Oh my goodness. Uh, what's in what's the cash? Kevin, I've got your movie. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I've got your movie, Kevin. <laughs> um, my movie is basic family history. So um it's mine would be for a, it's a family historical story uh before the europeans came landed in africa um i've got so many stories about my ancestors and how they were living and what they were doing and and how the movement because there was a lot of muslims um or should i say arabs at the time that would come down to africa and trade with the africans long before the Europeans uh, came into play and their stories that go around there. So um, I, I, won't, I don't want to give too much away, but let's just say, Kevin, I've got your movie and mm -hmm. I would love to make a movie just to salute my family and also just also to educate everybody else about this is how we live prior to colonization, all of that. I've got your movie, Kevin. <laughs> <laughs> okay, it. I think that's, that's a, there's a solid crew emerging from <laughs> Brilliant stuff. And Sarah, for you, I, can I just say that cat, that is one hell of a cat, man. Sorry. <laughs> what, what, what's his name, Sarah? Sarah. Her name is Leo and she had she been playing around like she, like with my feet and my legs, so I just let her come up because she oh, likes to do that. She's coming on a Zoom. She's um, a big girl. She is, she is bless her cotton, the yeah, exactly. Yeah, chicken over there, because <laughs> <laughs> she does like a tea. You know, if I had loads and loads of money, I'd really like to push my uh, imagination to limits and I I'd like to make a space opera film you know I'd like to really have some intergalactic warfare and you know some some world building and really just be able to just experiment and, and create something equally as epic as you know Avatar or Star Wars or those other films with the characters the Marvel films um <laughs> I'd like to do something like that but I'd, I'd, I'd like to set it I'd like to space wouldn't necessarily be space space would be like a local area and it would all happen there but it would all be very cosmic and lots of weapons and costumes and prosthetics and all that kind of thing I'd really like to just play you know well Connor Unlimited funds, what are we making? Uh, um, well, at the minute I am developing a feature-length script, which is basically someone who is it's kind of, it's, it's a bit like Brother Wap, uh, which followed the Odyssey, but this is Don Quixote. It's about a man who basically travels, does a tour of England up and down uh, doing uh, open mic nights. So it's kind of like the idea where Don Quixote was wanted to be a knight in a time where you couldn't be a knight. This is being like some a musician in a time where it's a bit more kind of career, you know, it, it's a bit career and money based and stuff. Uh, but yeah, and the main reason I'd love a lot of money for that is because then I could use as much of a soundtrack as I wanted, which would be great. Mm -hmm. And I can do a lot of lovely researching, just going up and down England right. and going to all those kind of small towns and seeing kind of, you know, where people get their entertainment in those places. What kind of soundtrack would it have? Uh, that's the thing, I would want to be a mix and part of it would be that I'd want to go to those towns and like see what kind of music is there and that. But in the same way, I guess um, Shane Meadows uses music so brilliantly to kind of show different cultures mm. and all that. You know, you've got Scar, you've got kind of punk music and points and all that. That kind of music would be really, it'd be really fun to explore that. And then a lot of live music as well would be amazing, it'd be great to do. Oh, thank you so much for sharing. Elifa, last but not least, you've got unlimited funds. What's the next film looking like? 
Um, I've actually been really fortunate that for the last year, um, my dream film's been in development. Um, it's based off a true story. So 10 years ago, I went to Miss World and uh, whilst I was there, a girl became possessed, whether you want to believe it or not. So I managed to sell that story of, uh, you know, a beauty queen becoming demonically possessed. So we've got a really big budget, um, but the script's in development. Um, <laughs> and because it's my baby and I'm so close to it and I live the actual experience, um, it's really hard dealing with someone taking your story and turning it into a full length script and completely rejigging it for the cinema when I know what the true story actually was. Um, so that's that's the next thing that I'm working on and I'm hoping in the new year we can finally, we're probably on like third or fourth draft now. So I'm hoping, it's taken a lot longer than I thought actually to kind of get a feature length script and be working with a writer to get it to a level that you can start casting and um, and bringing other people on board. Um, but yeah, so that's hopefully going to shoot next year and hopefully it'll come out for Halloween uh, the following year. Oh, so. that's interesting. Brilliant. It'll almost be like a mm. horror or psychological. Yeah, well, it will be. You know, it's kind of like uh, in a way where Black Swan deals with like, is she mentally ill or is it really happening? you know just like when I relayed the true story of what happened at Miss World people are like did that really happen or was she just mentally ill I know because I'm a spiritual person that she was that wasn't her you know I couldn't sleep for a week I just knew it was something way beyond what I'd ever experienced in my life um, and all the other girls that were there when I was there would say exactly the same thing. That that was a contestant on Miss World. <laughs> yeah, like ten over twelve years, twelve years ago, two thousand and ten. Beauty pageant queen. <laughs> yeah, my past life. <laughs> but, um, yeah, and I did. What's interesting is that I was starting to like look into making features because we all make shorts to kind of get to that level where we're able to make feature films. And I just got, you know, I think I, um, I got to the stage where I'd made like nine short films, and I was like, okay, I want to make some money now. Like, how do we get in it? And I was, I sat a sales agent down just because she sells films to the market, and I was like, these are all the films I'm thinking of, and every single one, she's like, mm mm. And then literally off the top of my head, I was like, well, there's this true story that actually happened to me 10 years ago. And she was like, that's it. That's what, well, what? And I was like, that? And then it made me realize, because obviously at the time it wasn't the most pleasant experience. And it, um, it made me realize that I was actually sent there to be told, that, to experience that story. And I'm the one who's meant to tell it, you know, 10, 12 years on. Um, so, and I had to re-interview some of the girls that I was in the pageant with to make sure I wasn't making up what we saw and what we experienced. Yeah, uh, without giving, um, away, obviously implicating the person in, in any way, yeah. I probably want to protect yeah. them, but um, are they okay now? Yeah, actually I saw, because obviously I researched into it and you know, because it's an international pageant, the press got wind of the fact that this girl had to get sent home. Um, and uh, the way it's been portrayed, I guess, in the press was mental illness. But the girls who were really there would say different. So um, the girl now seems fine. She's got a boyfriend from what I could see on social media. You know, who knows? It's a beauty pageant. Some maybe someone from her local town. She didn't. She didn't come from much money, so someone got jealous and sent a spirit on her. Who knows? Like that's what I'm able in my feature to discover and explore. Why would some a de demon possess a girl in that situation? Yeah, yeah. You know, and why would she I'll take it first, over? I'll be the first person to buy a ticket to that to see that. I mean, I'll be second. <laughs> I'll be there. Sounds amazing. Oh, it's just. So just not what you would associate with that world you know no no and I think the craziest thing is we were in China for a month and it happened on the first like two three days of us being there so imagine 120 girls from around the world 
all speaking different languages and one of the girls just loses it and she doesn't even speak a word of English but the demon spoke English to everyone else and the voice that came out of it was the voice that came out of her when she was the demon was like insane like I even remember how it sounded because unfortunately my room she got um she got like I guess expelled to a floor on her own so the room that she got expelled to was actually above my bedroom so I could hear in the hotel the voice at night yeah it was insane oh, wow. absolutely yeah. <laughs> so just People like capturing <laughs> but I, the thing is I can tell you that I can tell you all the actual story I'm relaying the real story because the feature takes elements of it but it doesn't you you, you can't you know it's one incident that happened if a whole to fill 90 minutes you can't just base it on one incident so the the, the feature's going to be slightly different so I can relay what truly happened in my experience but and the concept people seem to be like mind blown by like how does a girl in that situation but like I said there's jealousy you know you've watched like you know we've I grew up in the 90s where you had all those miscongenialities and all those beauty drop dead gorgeous and all these beauty pageant films that like girls were getting poisoned and all of that that actually happens girls dresses getting ripped people getting poisoned like that's the reality of beauty pageants and I've done enough to like see it and uh, met so many girls that have told me their stories so it's a mixture of like my own experience but also like what through the years of knowing the girls who are in the circuit hearing their stories being told to me so um so yeah I can't get in trouble with the organization for telling I was like am I gonna get sued by Miss World (laughs) (laughs) well uh, it's gonna be shared now everyone's gonna see yeah exactly thank you so much for sharing that that's really really wonderful i'm gonna wrap up everybody by just asking you to share your social media handle and your the the social media handle for the actual film as well if you've got one we'll start with you kevin and what we've been doing actually on other q a's people sometimes just put their phone to the screen but you can just say it if you haven't got your phone or you're on your phone for this uh zoom so go ahead kevin um, my social media is Kevin underscore Eno. Uh, that's on Twitter and Instagram. You can find me on Facebook as well if you want an extra friend. So, yeah. Perfect. Damien and Noella? Um, our short film is at Elephant Short Film London. And we also have our little production company, which is called At There Watching Us underscore. And um, my um, Insta is um, at DOP Daniel underscore. Lovely, thank you. Connor? Um, our Instagram handle is uh, at Mahunas short film, so Mahunas film, which is, I don't know, can you see? Oh yeah, that's brilliant, lovely, yeah. Because yeah, because you have to spell that out, <laughs> which makes yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, my personal one is Okokala, which is O-C-O-A-L-L-A on Instagram. And you can also find me on Facebook, and so can you can the film. Thank you very much, lovely. Aisha? So the film Dismissed um, on Instagram is Dismissed Film. And then I'm Aisha Scott underscore official on Instagram and Aisha Scott everywhere else, if you want to find me and add me. Um, Aletha? Yeah, um, all my work can be found on um, our company website, shotofftea.co and our social media is shotofftea. Smashing. Sarah? I am, um, hope you can see that. Can you see that, Sars World? Yeah, if you just hold it there for a second. Good, good, good. Oh, I'm following you already. Yeah, yeah I follow you <laughs> as well. So, um, and I'm Sars underscore world on Twitter. I'm Sarah Amanda on Facebook. If you really want to follow me on and add me as a friend on Facebook, then you can. But yeah, that's where you'll find me uh, hanging out. On Lovely. Last but not least, Abigail. Uh, yeah, so let me show you. Can you see this? Oh, wait, wait, wait. 
still 2020 on the Instagram. Yep, lovely. On the Instagram. Also on Instagram. I can't find my, my other one, but my personal one is at G-A-I-L-P-H-I-R-I-I-S. So Gail Piri is like that. And uh, the last one is the Facebook one, which is, if you can see it, at stilled.2020. Okay, great. So the same as the Instagram. Mm -hmm. Yes. Get that, that <laughs> dot in there. <laughs> Guys, thank you so much for joining us on this Q&A for the Life and Death uh, program. You can check out all of these films right now on Apple TV app. Um, if you are lost on there, go onto our website, www.britishurbanfilm.co.uk. Um, and also you can follow all of the buffness, these film uh, makers and the whole of the um, 80 selections via our handles at Buff Connects on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. Have a wonderful afternoon and thank you for tuning in. Bye-bye. Thank you, thank you. Bye. Thank you guys. Have a lovely afternoon. Take care. And I'll thank, you. You. Bye. thank you so Bye. much. Bye.